Hello, listeners. Welcome again to the Mysteries Unknown podcast for this segment of Behind the Mist with me, Hunter the MC. So when you think games like City of Mist, Monster of the Week, Thirsty Sword Lesbians, Masks, and many other different games that use the Powered by the Apocalypse system, not many people know the history of that system itself, as it all stems from just one game created by one man, a game known simply as Apocalypse World. And today, it is both my honor and privilege to have this man on for my Behind the Mist segment, as we get to learn more about the man behind the game. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Vincent. Vincent Baker, I wrote Apocalypse World. Alright, so what I usually will, the first question I'll usually ask all my people when they come on here is, just tell us what got you into uh, TTRPGs in the first place. Sure, I, um... What uh, what got me into TTRPGs in the first place was not a TTRPG. It was the computer game Zork. I don't know if you are old enough to know about Zork. Um, it was a, I think what we call an interpreter game, a text adventure computer game. Um, and I used to play it with my uncle, who's about the same age as I am. And when his older brother, my other uncle, wouldn't give us our turn on the computer we would play Zork live. Uh, this is when I was about 10 years old. And that is how I got started doing role-playing games. I didn't see... So so I played... I made up games, role-playing games, starting when I was about 10 until I was about 17 or something. I never saw a, a real role-playing game until I was in high school. And as I stated earlier, you are, of course, the creator of the one that kind of started the Power by the Apocalypse system overall, the game Apocalypse World. What brought that to be? Oh, well, that's kind of a story. So first of all, I'm the co-creator of that. Um, in first edition, my name is alone on the cover, but uh, my wife, Meg McGay, and I um, worked on that game from the beginning. And then for the second edition, starting with the second edition, her name is on the cover as well. Uh, we were always co-creators, but for some reason, um, we were trying to keep our creative... Uh, endeavors kind of separate, and I was the I was the uh, author of it, but we were a creative team um, for the whole game. Have been for decades. Uh, so, Apocalypse World came out of discussions at a web forum called the Forge, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, now a notorious web forum, I guess. Um, and where did it come from? That's such a such a <laughs> question. Um, there was this game. I was at Gen Con in two thousand and eight, and the game that was sort of tearing up the indie RPG creator scene at Gen Con in two thousand and eight was a game by my friend Gregor Hutton called Three Sixteen. It's a um, Space Marines versus Aliens game, and it was very polarizing, uh, split us, you know, we're, we're all Gregor's colleagues. Gregor, um, is one of the designers in the, in the sort of scene, um, split us pretty evenly between people who thought it was brilliant and people who did not think it was brilliant. And I was on the thought it was brilliant side. Um, and I came home and read it and, Gregor had done just enough in uh, sort of the, the how to GM chapter of that game 
and the implicit setting. See, this isn't going to make any sense at all. Like I'm, t- <laughs> it's completely without without reference. Um, and so I said, "Oh, oh, is this what we're doing now?" Is it Gregor? And I wrote Apocalypse World. I sat down and, you know, literally wrote the Brainer playbook, almost verbatim, like whole. Um, without thinking about it, without taking my eyes away from the page. Um, and once I had written the Brainer playbook, that game was was underway. Yes, so... And just for those who aren't quite familiar with what Apocalypse World is, if and correct me if I'm wrong with what I'm about to say, is it's basically you're just surviving Apocalypse is the basic premises of it. Yeah, yeah. The idea is that... So the Apocalypse was, I don't know, 50 years ago or something just inside living memory for the player characters not for them for their the people around them you were born after the apocalypse um but you the player characters are people with vision the the game is what are you going to make of this ruined world everything everything that used to exist all of the institutions all of the um the structures of civilization have collapsed you have all these pieces of leftover civilization to work with, what are you going to make? What are you going to make the world into? Um, and so the idea is that you're not just surviving, you are the people in that world with vision and with hope and with an idea of, of how things could be instead of just surviving. So I have not had a chance yet myself to play Apocalypse World. I was, however, gifted the second edition by a friend of mine because I've made a lot of different connections in this community. Uh, I'm just curious, what di- what differences were made between the first edition and the second edition of the game? Well, what I like to say is we made a million tiny improvements. Um, there were not any substantial changes. I think one of the playbooks got dropped, and another playbook came in. Um, but uh, for the most part, it was just a, a million tiny little improvements. So cleaned up moves, cleaned up organization the book's better organized in the second edition um one of the things that happened between the first and the second edition is that mad max fury road came out and that was really inspiring and so the um the second edition has more rules for you know the road war the the dying historic on the fury road yeah, I could definitely see that. Now, I've never seen any of the Mad Max movies myself. I've heard of them, but I remember that distinctly the first one was the, that I remember being more familiar with was the Fury Road one, if I recall, because uh, that was like mid, it was like early 2000s before 2010, I remember when it came out. And I just remember seeing those commercials plastered all over the place. So I could mm-hmm. definitely see people wanting to play that with a game called Apocalypse World. Makes perfect sense when you think about it. <laughs> I had, um, when when I first wrote it, when we first created Apocalypse World, I had only seen the original, the um not not even the first one. Anyway. The the Road Warrior is the one I had seen. I hadn't even seen Beyond um Beyond Thunderdome. And uh if you've also never seen Beyond Thunderdome, this won't make any sense. But seeing that movie it was like they made my game into a movie. It was it was a heck of a thing. Something in the air. Okay, so the way I'm going to phrase this, because of course you had to have came up with the system for the game before like it got more recognized by the, power, the system we now all know and love today, Powered by the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. 
from your point of view, what were kind of the events that led up to, oh, here's just a simple game that's what people will say more narrative focused that is could easily be picked up by almost anyone interested in TPRPGs to now being its own system, and now we have all these other different kinds of games that people can now choose from. Well, so I started work on the game in 2008, um, and we published two years later um, in 2010. And in between that time, when it was in development, we were sharing the playtest drafts with a bunch of our friends and colleagues. Like, we're part of a, a whole creative scene. Um, and they started adapting it. Um, you know, friends of ours started adapting it basically as soon as they got our playtest material. Um, uh, Avery Alder... Um, uh, Sage Latora and uh, John Harper, I want to say. They were um, building on it. It was almost a race to publication. We we published first, but by the time we published Apocalypse World, Monster Hearts and um, Dungeon World and Monster of the Week, that's who it was, it was Mike Sands, um, were already in development by the time we published. And so we knew immediately that people were going to be building on, on our work on this system. And um turned out to be true. So we started laying the groundwork for that, you know, making policies about how we would handle it when people approached us to say, hey, can we use your system? Um, what kind of support we would give for that. Uh, we were aware that that was coming from the the very beginning, from before we published, and so that's what happened. Yeah. So I just like to share this because it shows so much, like how just playing a Power Buddy Apocalypse game just made me enjoy TTRPGs that much more. So, so like I knew what Dungeons and Dragons was. I've heard of like the people like Critical Role and all that, but I never was like interested enough to want to like dive into it. Mm-hmm. But then during the, uh, as I like to say, the year of our Lord and Savior, COVID-19, when all that started up during the pandemic, um, I got introduced to a group called Autoloot. And what they were doing at the time was they started releasing a podcast called Rolling in the Mist, which uses the TTRPG Say a Mist, which uses Powered by the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And I remember just getting so hooked onto that show that they did that it made me actually look into City of Mist. And I ran one game before I started my own podcast I'm doing now. And then actually looking into Critical Role, watching the creative mind of Brindley Mulligan just do his magic with his narration, I was just kind of like, yes, that's what I want to strive for. I want to be really narrative and have this great story for people to enjoy and explore. And that's what really got me into City of Mist was that narrative creatability with what, how you could create your characters in the city. And another thing that I actually discovered with City and Mist that makes it different from most uh, Power Buddy Apocalypse games is like take compared to, for example, Monster of the Week, which I like to say is the son of uh, Power Buddy Apocalypse, because I say Apocalypse World is the father, and then Monster mm-hmm. of the Week is basically the son, because that's the second most known one when it comes to Power Buddy Apocalypse is Monster of the Week. Yep. So Monster of the Week, you have the playbooks that tell you what stats you're going to add to any role you're trying to do. But with City of Mist, the difference is you're creating these theme books and they all have different they all have like different tags, and then you choose which tags you're gonna use to add to the role. Oh cool. So, I've actually never played yeah. City of Mist. 
Yeah, that was just the game that got introduced me to TTRPGs and then got me introduced into Power of the Apocalypse. And then, like, I recently just purchased Monster of the Week for myself because I do have some ideas with that I want to do. I got uh-huh. Dungeon World. There's a Magical Girl one that's called Glitterheart that I also yep. found, recommended to me from a friend. And then it, it's really cool just how much of a... I, like, people refer to it usually calling it a PBTA hack, where you use aspects of the game for, for the system for, like, different games. Because I played one that I was part of a playtest where they use this one game where you're working in a supernatural office it's, and it's run both diceless and GMless. Uh-huh. But you still have like the playbooks of the system, like a Power by the Apocalypse game, and it just tells you all the moves and things that you can do sure. in the game. So it's just, I can never stress enough just how amazing uh, the system is and why I just love it so much. Fantastic. That's so good to hear. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, did you expect uh, Power by the Apocalypse to, to be as popular as it is today? Uh, well, no. How can you expect that? <laughs> um, I had ambitions. I had dreams. But um, no, I didn't expect it. Um, <laughs> like, like I say, we knew we were onto something, but there was no way to predict uh, what it was going to be. But we hoped. We hoped people would like it. Yeah, I know, like, a couple people that I've done with like it. Like, there's another podcast I follow that I've become friends with. A lot of the games she goes over are Power by the Apocalypse-based games. She loves them with all her heart, especially Monster Week was her, like, that one art TTRPG that got her into the world, like how I was with City of Mist. And then, like I said, just finding all these different games out here is really cool. Like, I just discovered another one, and it's called... Uh, it's basically like Dungeon World, but it's called World of Dungeons, and it goes, oh, yeah, and it goes. So someone made this one called World of Dungeons, and it's kind of like a a more detailed kind of Dungeon World in the sense without like all the different kind of high moves and stuff. But then I saw someone created a and like almost an expansion of that one called Advanced World of Dungeons, and it's got <laughs> more character classes. It goes more into spells, introduces some other concepts for thrown to your world. Yep. So. And I got both of those. I'm just reading through, and I'm like, you could easily convert like a D and D module to these if you do if you balance out your math properly and correct. Because that's one thing I'm trying to do now, especially with the quote unquote wonderful company that WotC has become. Now I'm taking yeah. their modules and I'm going to convert them onto a different system. Uh, that's awesome. That's a fun time. Yeah, because like I will always say, like games like the games like Dungeons and Dragons, games like Pathfinder, they're still good games in their own right. It's not the game's fault that the company is so crappy. Mm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to hold games accountable for what their creators do. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Because I actually, oh, I was, I was. Actually, uh, World of Dungeons is by John Harper, my friend John. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I I know I've heard that name somewhere, but the name it escapes me at the top of my head where I heard that name before. He uh, is a, a game designer. He made Blades in the Dark. You probably that's know. it. Yes, that's why Blades in the Dark. I just recently got that one, and also I backed a Kickstarter. There's going to be a Forge in the Dark game called Girl by Moonlight. That's magical girls oh, using yes. that game system. So. Yeah, so I backed that, and I'm going to be getting that book soon. And I've never played a Blades in the Dark game before, so getting this book will be my first delve into for- the Fortune in the Dark system. And then I've also got, like, I follow people like Fate is now getting more popular as well. 
yeah. both of those systems. You have the accelerated, the condensed, and the core. Yep. And a lot of people will say we'll compare like Power by the Apocalypse and Fate, kind of almost similar, which I think there is. There are quite a few differences between the two games, but how they work is almost similar when you look at kind of like some of the more minor details of the game, for sure, I think. Sure. And, uh, well, speaking of companies, you also are part of one. Why don't you tell us about Lumpley? Oh, uh, okay. So Lumpley Games is the company that I run off my dining room table. Um, Meg and I run off our dining room table. Um, it started when I was trying to get a Hotmail account back in 2000 <laughs> or something. God, um, Hotmail. Where Vincent Baker at Hotmail.com was already taken. And so I was like, well, I'll bet Lumpley at Hotmail.com isn't already taken. And it wasn't. And uh, now it's too late. I'm stuck with it. No, no. Um, So that was the beginning of Lumpley Games. And it's just, you know, it's just a, it's not even a, a corporation. It's just a doing business as like a lemonade stand that we run out of our dining room. Now, if you don't mind me asking, because you brought up a couple times already that your wife plays an intricate part in, like, the start of Lumpley, the creation of oh, yeah. the second edition of Apocalypse World. If you don't mind me asking, uh, how did you two meet? What brought you both together to where you're now doing these amazing things in the TTRPG community? Uh, we, we met in college, um, fell in love at once in college, uh, got married right out of college. Um, but, like, we were both gamers. We, uh, had both been playing games since before high school. She started playing Dungeons and Dragons in the mid seventies with her friends. Um, playing role playing games was a big part of our college experience, even. Uh, and so she didn't have the same ambition to create games that I did, but she always loved that I was creating games. Always uh, involved was involved in that creating process even before we published. Um, she's She published, back when we were sort of maintaining separate business identities, she published a couple of games of her own, um, one called Psy Run, which is about uh, teenagers with psychic powers who escaped from some kind of shadowy government uh, agency and are now on the run. Um, a very far, fire starter kind of game. Um, and she created a fantastic uh, set of sort of casual games, dice games, called Playing Nature's Year that includes some fortune-telling games and some um, wishing games um, with this sort of New England seasonal theme where there, there are eight games for the eight season, four seasons and the four in-between seasons of the New England year. Um but now we pretty much are all up in each other's business, working on each other's games all the time. And we've sort of united our our business identity to publish together. Um, we also have a bunch of kids. We have three kids who are now young adults um, who are starting to publish games of their own under Lumpley. Um, some of our games are... We're just beginning now to to hint at. We haven't haven't formally published any games, but we're we have this baby imprint called Lumpley and Company that um where our kids can get in on publishing their game 
Uh, it's a pretty good time. I Like, I've arranged my life. I do this full-time. I've arranged my life so that I get to do the thing I always wanted to do. It's pretty cool. Is this something you always imagined yourself doing, just being a tabletop game creator? Or is is it like... Is it? Did you just not never dream that this would ever happen? Um, I always wanted to since I was a teenager. Um, like I've been creating games, like I say, since I was ten years old or something. And um, it, it wasn't possible. This is kind of interesting. There were some technological changes that happened right around the year two thousand that made independent role playing game publishing possible, um, and they were. PDFs, before that, it uh, was very difficult to share files digitally, and PDFs came into existence, and um, print-on-demand, there was firms like Lulu, um, and before, you know, whatever printing technology developed to make print-on-demand possible, the only way to get a book printed was to print 1,000 copies or 5,000 copies or whatever. When we got started, I started publishing games around 2000. Um, 2000. And... As I was getting started, many of my friends and colleagues then had put full print runs of games on their credit cards uh, that they were now saddled with this debt. And that was that was something I was very careful to avoid by starting small and um, printing or um, publishing digitally and doing print on demand. And the third thing was PayPal. Um, where we could have direct interactions, direct uh, where you could buy direct from me instead of me having to be in a store to reach an audience. And so once those three things were sort of in place, those three things sort of happened at the same time that I was getting started, getting serious about um, finishing games. Um, and so... I had always dreamed of creating games, but it didn't seem possible until 2000, 2001, 2002, when I was about 30, and I was able to publish my own games instead of trying to sell games to a publisher. Yeah. So one of the things that I always like to push for uh, in the teacher community is I like to push for supporting independent creators. Just yeah. because it's always been a big belief I have, especially like when I was in anime fandoms, I commissioned artists because I can't draw worth jack shit. And I always would commission artists to draw stuff for me just because I felt like since I can't draw, I should instead support those that can. And it's the same with TTRPGs. Like I've backed several independent creators. Like there's one uh, group, they, they create a simplified D20 game called Realms of Elgroon. And they, they reach like way over their goal. But in, yeah. I'm part of the Discord server. Know. Yeah. Say it in Realms of... Realms of Elgrun, and it's spelled E-L-G-H-R-U-N-E. E-L-G-H... R-U-N-E, yes. I will give that a look. And what what the idea is, is basically kind of like sci-fi, science fiction and fantasy mixed together, because it's still that fancy setting... But then you have, like, robots, space travel, aliens. Like, literally one of the classes that you can play as is the Technomancer, where you're controlling uh, technology with magic. Nice. And even though, like, they got all this money and they've been working on this for so many years, they are still constantly giving us updates like, hey, we're still trying to do this, we're still trying to do that. Because 
like I went all out. I booked for like the big old box for the uh, <laughs> with their Kickstarter because they these guys were following me since I like before my podcast even started because I started promoting it for a little bit. Then I finally started the recording, and these guys were following me, so I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna support these guys. And it's the this- same. Go ahead. I was also going to say, and like we were discussing earlier, because as you are Vincent Baker of Apocalypse World, I also work with Vincent Baker of Other Worlds. Mm-hmm. So, and he, Vin, that Vincent Baker did a Kickstarter for he was he wanted to republish his Other Worlds game again, and he did a Kickstarter, and the goal was only like a thousand, and he reached almost eight thousand dollars on that one alone. That's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. And he said it beat his original Kickstarter for the game. When he first actually like published it and was getting it out there, this one beat it, and so and that's I'm wanting to do stuff with that game too, and that's why I'm got love. That's why I'm enjoying this opportunity. That I have to work with him and be able to run these games as well because he's got a couple uh, RPG games. He also has board games and card games that he does because this is his passion. He just cre- yeah. loves to create games in general. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, um, other worlds. It's kind of anime themed. Is that correct? Um, so the term that he uses is future fantasy, cool. where it's where it's like it's that fantasy setting still still strongly in that, but then it's like all the technology and the space travel and stuff as well. And that primarily uses the D six system, but it still feels more like a Dungeon Dragons or Pathfinder game with like your how you build your characters, your stats, all your items and stuff. So it's built more like that. But then he has another one, and this other game is actually more anime-focused, in my opinion. It's called Black Paper Moon. And it's supposed to be, like, if you took Ruby and Soul Eater and combined those two animes into one game. And it's also D6, but this one's a more rules light. Whereas, you're you're just trying to roll the dice and get up to the goal, like the DC of what you can do. And it's also Uh got the exploding dice mechanic in there as well, so if you get that six, you can just keep rolling until you stop getting sixes. That's very cool. Yeah. And then the fun part about it is, um, did you ever play or heard of the game Dread? Uh, Jenga Dread? Yes. Yeah. So this one, so Black Bear Moon also whoa, uses... Whoa, 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 whoa. The creator of that game is in um, in uh, my front yard right this minute. Our friend, <laughs> our friend Epidiah Ravishaw. Yeah. We, uh, okay. <laughs> we live in the same town. We have coffee together all the time. Our our very good friend Epidiah Ravishon. So yeah, yeah, I, I know the game. <laughs> That's awesome. That's just yeah. awesome. <laughs> and Go this on. is just yeah. The, before before I go into that, this just shows just how like tight knit that this community can be, and it's also why I've stuck around and I've loved it so much. And also, yeah, and just why I like ah, oh, it's so good. That's all I can really say about this community in general. There's nothing like uh a creative community. It's the best thing. Yeah. But Black People Moon, I was going to say, also uses a die tower mechanic for, like, when oh, you cool. fail your rolls. So you, you're stacking these dice up, and if, if and you have to, you can stack, like, up to, like, 12 or 13 dice, and once uh-huh. you get to that 12 or 13 die, that's when you can perform the miracle in the game. But if oh, it falls cool. over, if it falls over at any point, something bad happens. That's fantastic. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, so I... I'm sorry, I just can't get over the fact that you have the creator of Dread like in your front yard right now because I remember the first time I even heard about the game was when they played it on Geek and Sundry with Will Wheaton. Oh, sure. 
So I just thought it was such a neat concept and blew my mind that you could play a game like so different than how it would usually be. Because I'm like, usually it's just roll dice, lose health, all that. But no, let's take a giant Jenga tower and use that for a fit punishment system. It's just, ah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I got, I'm so, I got so excited to look, looking forward to this day. And I just had like, I had so many questions and now they're all drawing a blank on me. So. Oh, sure. <laughs> So did you ever actually play Dungeons and Dragons yourself? Because one thing that I, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. I was going to just say really quick, uh, one thing that always catches people off guard is when I tell people that I have never yet to this day played Dungeons and Dragons or anything like it. I've only done, say, Miss was my introduction to the teacher RPG world. And it always shocks everyone when I tell them that. I have probably played about 10 hours of Dungeons and Dragons in my life. Um, I played a session or two of first edition AD&D uh, in college. And that was the first time I ever played D&D. And then I played a game of uh, one session of basic D&D at Gen Con one year. Um, and that is all the Dungeons and Dragons I've ever played. Oh no, since then I ran Dungeons and Dragons for my kids when they were younger after playing it at Gen Con. Um, Basic D and D, like uh, we played Moldvade D and D. Um, I think nineteen eighty D and D. It's a fantastic game. I would recommend that game to anybody. Um, but I was playing it with my kids and their friends, and we're playing along and playing along. And I'm like, you know, I wish this worked a little bit differently. And I started making some changes and some house rules. And pretty soon, I was designing a whole different game. That's how it always goes. But yeah, no, so I, I've I've only played a few hours of D&D, and I never played it as a kid. I played it in college for the first time. Just because I just asked, because I'm also curious to know, um, do you, pref- would you, which would, do you prefer, like, the more free narrative creation that Powered by the Apocalypse offers, or do you, are you just okay, or are you also okay with kind of like the heavy number crunching that D&D can be sometimes? Uh... Well, one of the reasons we created Apocalypse World the way we did was because we were getting older and we had kids, and the amount of time we had for gaming was shorter and shorter and shorter. And so the idea, like one of the sort of design specs of Apocalypse World was that things would happen a lot faster. You would get through a lot more fictional material, you know, get through a lot more story in two hours with Apocalypse World than you would with D&D. And I haven't, I haven't really gotten more time in my life, so it would be a struggle for me to play sort of a modern D&D 3 or D&D 5 or whatever. Um, just because of how long it takes to resolve a fight. And, like, I'm a big believer in play fighting. I think that that is some games. Um, and so I wouldn't want to skip that. Like, why play D&D if we're not going to fight skeletons or ghouls or goblins or whatever? But um, it, it seems like it takes a long time. So that's my only, that's my only reluctance. When I was young, I was, I was completely happy to spend hours playing. We played a ton of Shadowrun uh, in high school. That was the main game we played. And that is not a... Like, that's a crunchy game. Um, Shadowrun 1st Edition and that game has a ton of crunch, but we, we played the heck out of that game. We loved that game. Uh, 
And so I don't mind it, but my time is limited, and I prefer games where that, that move along at a quicker pace now that I'm old. Yeah, so the reason, even though I would happily sit down and play like D&D or Pathfinder if anyone was to offer it to me, just because I because when Pathfinder did their Humble Bundle thing, I invested in that, and so I have all these books now, and I've been kind of slowly looking through them because I've been wanting to learn other TTRPGs as well. Yeah, and like I said, I still have I've got D and D modules I'm learning, so I can either run those or figure out how to transfer those to other game systems so they can be run better and faster. Because, like you also said, same with me, I don't always have the time to always just sit for like six, seven, eight hours. For like yeah. one session, like when I record my sessions on my podcast, they're always usually when um. So I'm off usually every Monday. So during the fall and school year with my sons in school, I'm recording sessions. They go anytime they could go anytime between two to four hours, depending yeah. on what happens. But I'm like, this is the time window that we have to do this because this is yeah. all I got. And so I completely understand that needing trying to make that time, but also being able to make sure that you you can fulfill what you want narratively done in a single session. And that's why I also love the Power by the Apocalypse for that reason. Yeah, they, those games really clip along. Hey, how old's your son? Um, he is uh, currently four years old. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, and just for everyone to know, uh, we are actually recording this on Father's Day, mainly because I thought Father's Day was going to be in July. I completely forgot that it was going to be in June. So to all the dungeon daddies out there, happy Father's Day. Oh, I was going to say, um, as far as D&D now goes, I'm sort of more of an OSR kind of guy than a, than a D&D 5 kind of guy. Yeah, I actually, last night as I was coming home from my Saturday job, I was watching a video about all the like the TSR history and all the scandals from like I guess three or four different TSR companies that were created from the weird legal loopholes that happened with the trademark of the name. And I'm just like, what a mess. So here's a thought that I want to share because I like just want to hear your opinion on this. So sure. so as I said earlier, one of my friends that we really love Power the Apocalypse and I'm gonna shout her out really quick because her podcast is called the RPG Goblin. And all she does is she is just taking, she's just going over all these different tabletop games that are out there. And each one, sometimes even two episodes, sometimes like we had to do two City of Mist episodes with me because the first one was basically going over Player's Guide. And then we went over the MC Toolkit as well for like how to run the game. And so like we're always like recommending games to each other back and forth like, oh, hey, I found about this game. Oh, hey, I found about this game. And she was the one that recommended to me Thirsty Sword Lesbians made by Evil Hat. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was able to get those, and I looked through them, and I loved just, and going through like the, sto- the stories they have kind of set up that you can do, I'm like, I could do so much with this. I want to see if what if the people think about this game. And I was uh-huh. so surprised at how mixed reviews that game had. Really? Yeah, and I I'm not... Mostly positive reviews of that game. I have it. It showed up at our house. Um, not, I mean, pretty recently, right? Uh, oh no, no, no! I'm thinking of Apocalypse Keys. That's the new one that just showed up. Um, yeah, I actually just got that played, one too. So, <laughs> um, I haven't played Thirsty Sword Lesbians, um, but that's kind of a surprise. I thought it was mostly mostly positively reviewed. 
Well, I remember I brought up in a discourse where I was part of one time, and the first thing they said that threw them off about it was the name, which I'm like, eh, kind of makes sense. Yeah, but I'm sure. also one of those that you don't judge a book by its cover kind of deal, too. Because apparently the Kickstarter for the game was big when yeah, they were yeah. doing the Kickstarter for Thirsty Sword Lesbians. And then going on YouTube, looking at reviews about it, they were all mixed. And there's one guy that I do follow, just because I like... I. So I make sure I leave politics completely out of my podcast because I've always believed my belief is tabletop games are for every race, belief, and gender. So everyone should be able to come sit down at the table and enjoy a good game. No matter if you disagree on something, whether you agree or not, none of that should matter at the table, in my opinion. However, you however everyone wants else wants to play their table, that's totally up to you and that's completely fine. This is just me, is what I that's so that's what I always say. Mm-hmm. And this one person I follow did a little review about Thirsty Sword Lesbians, and he's also a very big, like, D&D numbers crunch kind of guy, so it kind of made sense at the same time that he kind of looked down uh, unfavorably upon it. But one of the things that he said that really kind of just stuck with me, just because it was just a, such a weird thing, was he said that Powered by the Apocalypse games are for lazy GMs. <laughs> well, I will tell you... <laughs> Do you want to know? They're for me. I'm the laziest GM in history. <laughs> I designed, I designed that game so I would not have to work. <laughs> and and what me and my RPG Goblin friend, when we when I brought this up on the MC Toolkit episode, um, we both said I is like you could like he has his right to say that as much as he wants. Everyone has the right to their own opinion, but. I think it takes a more creative, mo- a more creative mind to be able to run a power by the apocalypse-based setting. Or as for games like D and D and Pathfinder, you're always thinking about more than numbers half the time. Yeah. Well, and so and it's it's super interesting, right? Because um, I I designed Apocalypse World to play for for myself to play for myself to to GM mostly, um, and. I designed it really on purpose so that it would be very easy for me to GM, so that I wouldn't have to do all of the difficult things that I don't enjoy when I'm GMing different games. And I absolutely believe that each of us as designers, I mean, maybe we design games to challenge ourselves. I've done that too, design games that I know will be hard for me to GM in order to to learn how to do them better. Like, I do that too. But the idea that there are going to be some some people for whom this game is the easiest game to GM, and there are going to be other people for whom this game is really difficult to GM. It it requires things that just don't come naturally uh, to me as a GM, you know, to me as a person. And I think that that's really interesting. I think that much more than, you know, this is a game for lazy GMs and this is a game for GMs who want challenges, I think that there's much more of a you know, this game is really easy for what I already know how to do, or this game is really challenging for what I already know how to do. Um, that's how I think about it. Yeah, and I'm friends with a lot of D&D podcasters as well, and a lot of them also same supporters from, like, day one kind of deal, and a lot of them also would agree with me. I'm like, a game is a lot more fun when you're not trying to prepare every single thing to happen, and you just leave it up to the characters and the dice. Because that's one of the things I will always stress when I'm running these one-shots and these games. I have 
the idea of how I kind of want it to start off, depending on what the players want to do. I have several different endings kind of lined up, and so that way I know what happens if that ending comes. And then everything else is what I pull out of my butt and the roll of the dice. <laughs> That's how I've yep. always stressed it. And the funny thing is, uh, one of the first cases I ran was called Demons Across End by City of Mist. And the <laughs> way that that game ended was nothing like any of the ones I had planned ahead for. Yep. I love that. I mean, that's, you know, that's why I, that's why I play games is because I don't know what's going to happen and I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see what, you know, my friends, these players and their fascinating characters, they're really like my friends always create great characters. Um, and I just can't wait to see what they, what they do. And I, I really love the, the GM role, uh, of, you know, throwing things in their path, creating interesting situations, interesting to me, right? Creating situations that I want to see what these characters are going to do. I don't want to choose what they're going to do. I don't want to predict what they're going to do or decide what they're going to do. I just want to throw things at them and see what they do, you know? Um, for me, that's the the thing I enjoy the most about games is not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, because one of the things that I stated uh, when I did the MC Toolkit episode, and MC means Master of Ceremonies, which is what GMs are called in City of Mist, because it's treated very much like a noir mystery film, is the whole feeling of the game. And that before that episode was the first time I actually ever really cracked open that book to read through. Because what I'll usually do is I'll read through like a player's guide to see how all the players work and how their moves work, and I'll just figure out what to do from there usually. It's like, and if I need to find other materials, I'll look it up online. I never actually like sat down and read through like a like a Dungeon Masters type guide before and just read it like word for word all the way through. And that was the first time I got to do it. And while it's like some stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, I already knew how to do that. Well, other stuff was like, ah, that's actually interesting. I did not know that kind of deal. Yeah, so it was just very interesting. And then um, because we did talk about like supporting independent creators and stuff, uh, I am actually kind of inspired by some other games i've played and just seen uh, some other friends do it i'm gonna try working on an actual uh ttrpg game myself i'm oh, gonna fantastic. be using i'm gonna be using it's a system called any eni and it was made in japan by a man named charles ward of exist games charles and, ward eni yeah eni any is how it's pronounced and i actually i won the book from another podcast i follow because they did a they did a Christmas parody called a I think it was um it was like they called it I think Jingle Hard where they combined uh-huh. Die Hard and the Jingle All the Way movie kind of concepts together for this funny little game they did and it's only like literally it's only nineteen pages this book is it was it, he made it to be that rules light and simple for anyone to pick up. And be able to play with anything. And he has a thing that says, as long as you like put this back into the text, you can use this system to create a game around it if you see yourself fit to. And so and because because like so because because I don't know why, I've had all this magical girl stuff in the brain lately with a lot of these games coming out. I'm working on this kind of anime magic high school-esque plot idea. Uh-huh. And the title is either going to be, it's kind of one of those funny, like, you know how sometimes those anime titles, their chapters are like super long and ridiculous sometimes? Sure. Like, the title's either going to be, oh no, there's goblins in my sloppy joe, or oh no, the evil witch is teaching calculus and turned my friends into worms. 
That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm constantly learning stuff. I never thought I would see myself uh, wanting to actually have, have the inspiration to make an actual game myself. But in seeing how other people do it and just all the resources out there that you can use to create one yourself these days, uh-huh. I'm like, why not just give it a shot and see what happens? Like, I'm not expecting everyone to like it, but it's just something that's like, I can put this out here and be like, I made this. This is something that I made. That's fantastic. There's nothing like that. It's it's amazing. I hope you have a fantastic time with it. Yeah, like, I'm still kind of working on the basic story and kind of how I want everything to play out, but eventually I'm, I am going to, like, just sit down and start typing everything out, and then I just want to get, I'm going to see if I can find, like, an artist friend or something to be able to, like, back to pay, of course. I'm not, you, of course, everything's got to come with a cost. You cannot expect everything for free, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> and have them kind of create, like, a basic covers and be like, this is what it's going to kind of look like and what I'm thinking about. Because I'm very much thinking, like, like anime high school where they all have the uniforms sure. and then all of a sudden all of a sudden a portal opens and there's just like fey wild creatures just coming into the real world all of a sudden they gotta fight them now sounds great uh, sounds fantastic yeah huh it's like i'm trying to think if there's anything else we want to discuss anything you want to share that you can think about at all or oh i don't know <laughs> i don't know it's like I really need to start making a list, but I try to treat this more like an I try to treat these more like organic conversations too at the same time because I yeah, don't want to be like we're not just sitting down asking questions. It's like because everyone on I have on this segment are people that I respect in the TCRB community or that I am friends with. And so yeah, I the so having you on here as the creator of Powered by the Apocalypse, there I just have the utmost respect and love for you and your work. And I would not be and even, like, and I credit so many people, but I also have to give you the credit as well for making such a great system. I'm I'm humbled. Thank you so much. Like that's it's great to hear, and I I'm really just glad that people have a good time with it. I'm glad you have a good time with it. Um, you know, that's what we're doing is is you know hoping people enjoy our work. Yeah, and that's one of the things I always push, like for first time, like game runners, is just have fun with the games. So it's like, yeah. you, like you can, you don't always have to play rules as written. You can homebrew a lot of stuff. You can take stuff in and take stuff out. As long as the collective at the table is enjoying the game, at the end of the day, that should be really all that matters. Absolutely. Well, I think I'm completely fresh out of questions now. So do you have any plugs you would like to share or want to say where people can find you? Oh, yeah. Um, you can find me at lumply.games. They opened up the games. Oh, now I don't remember what that's called. Anyway, lumply.games is my main uh, hideout right now. Um, I'm on Patreon. Uh, I think it's lumply.patreon.com. Um, basically, everywhere... If you type in Lumply, if I'm there, you'll find me. Um, we have just published a new game called Under Hollow Hills, which I'd love it if people would check out. It's a Powered by the Apocalypse game about fairies. About um, It's about a fairy circus traveling through the fairy world and the human world. And uh, everywhere they go, they mess things up. They change the world. Um, so if people are interested in that, if you're interested in that, please check it out. And uh, if 
you want to if you want to keep up with everything I'm doing, Patreon is the best way. All right. I think you have a Twitter as well. I thought I saw it when I was trying to look you up. Do you still use that at all or No, like I I still have my Twitter account and I check it uh, I don't know, once a week or less. Um but basically I got driven off Twitter by uh you know, things. Yeah, that was kind of my issue I had too when I tried to get started on Twitter was people the talk it's like I got thrown onto like all the the toxic like toxic D and D side of things. I was just like, yeah, no. So I personally stay as far away from that, and I just stay on Instagram, and that's mm-hmm. where I've gotten to know everyone. And so it's I just sh- been. I should get over to Instagram. I'm on Mastodon, um, which is fantastic. Mastodon is great, but it's yeah, kind I- of what's happening. Yeah, I'm very skeptical when it comes to like all the side things that are saying, oh, we're like Twitter or we're like Instagram because Hive did the same thing too. And I tried mm-hmm. to get on Hive and it just was like, yeah, no, because they did updates and the updates basically b- failed the mm-hmm. social media. So that's why I'm just like, I'll just stick with this one because I'm that's where I've seen my most success. And if I see and if people start telling me, hey, you should go to Mastodon, maybe one day I'll try it. Who knows? It just depends. But Mastodon right now is very casual. Like the the numbers are low enough, the the number of people on it is small enough that it feels a little more intimate. Feels a little more just like hanging out um, than Twitter did, or than many forums did even. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. And so definitely, I recommend everyone go and go onto the website uh, and go get go get Apocalypse World, get under Hollow Hills. Uh, any other games they have, I just recommend go getting them. I'm definitely going to put Under Hollow Hills onto my list now as games that I need oh, to get. Cool. Yeah, I just have this ever-growing list now because the RPG Goblin basically cursed me now to where I'm like, <laughs> oh, there's all these games now, and I want to now all try them. Because and we're just, like I said, we're constantly like switching games back and forth to each other. Like, oh, hey, here's this game. Oh, hey, here's this game. And, like, we literally, like, every now and then, if she has a game and I have a game and neither one of us have the other game, we will just trade manuals with each other, too, now. That's great. So, because she got... That's what, she that's got what the, we do, too. Like, like <laughs> um, Epi is here and Emily Care Boss is here. And, you know, we spend a ton of time just recommending games to each other and checking games out with each other. I mean, that's the main thing we do. Yes. And then, as always, if you want to talk and find me, you can find me on Instagram, either at MistUnkPodcast, M-I-S-T-U-N-K Podcast, or my side uh, TTRPG slash meme channel, uh, I don't, IDK How to DM, which is for my other I Don't Know How to DM side podcast I'm working on. And then if you want to just email and reach out to me that way, you can always email me at MistUnkPodcast at gmail.com. Well, Vincent Baker, once again, this was a pleasure and honor to be able to get to do this. I had a really great time. Thank you for having me on. I had a great time, too.